Amen. So the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, it's, um, it's an interesting chapter, just to say the least. There's a lot of, so we're, we're past the, the historic part of the, book of, of the book of Daniel, and we're into now, we enter now into what's the, the prophetic, you know, aspect of the book of Daniel. And so from now on, we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, that, that Daniel writes, that the Lord showed him, that the Lord revealed to him, you know, concerning uh, future events, what we would call as Bible prophecy, prophetic things to come. And this is one of those chapters. Um, so the book of Daniel, chapter 7, we see that Daniel received a vision into the far future. I mean, past the world governing empires, you know, but all the way into eternity. And so just imagine Daniel at this time, man, where he doesn't know what a TV is. He doesn't know anything about technology. I mean, here he is, uh, you know, 6th century B.C., and he's looking into things like way past even, even our time right now. You know, he's looking, at, he's looking at into things like way past into our government and even into eternity. So you could just imagine, uh, he's going to say at the end of the chapter how he was just terrified at the things he saw. I mean, these were beyond his comprehension. But yeah, we see that the Lord's going to give him a, a vision of these, of these future things. And we're, we're going to see that he sees visions that parallel with Nebuchadnezzar's dream in, in, uh, in the book of Daniel chapter 2. And so the vision that was given to Daniel is going to parallel the, the, the statue that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar saw and the world-governing empires that, thought that that statue represented. And we're going to see that Daniel, after writing about part of his vision, of this vision being fulfilled, um, well, it's, it's crazy because he writes, he writes, yeah, he puts, he puts this chapter, you know, he puts this writing like, in, 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 a, in, the, in the book strategically, that he gives us the whole history, and then he gives us this vision that he had, which he actually had before, you know, and so it's like he's saying, he's, he's telling you everything that happened, and then he says, I had a vision that this was going to happen. You know, and just so, just so you know, it, it, it did happen. I'm going to give you all the information first. And so he gives us all the history up until that point, And then he gives us that vision that he had before that point where he's at right now. as to say, man, look, it happened. You know, and, so, and so he writes with that perspective. And so we see that Daniel and his vision is given more detail about the fourth kingdom and its rulers. And you remember there in the book of Daniel chapter 2, as Nebuchadnezzar had this, had this dream of that statue and the different metals that, that, that made up the statue, which, uh, which represented different uh, world-governing empires, uh, the fourth of those medals, or the fourth aspect of that, of, of that statue, represented the, the, the world-governing empire of Rome. And we're going to see that Daniel is actually going to be given more insight about this, this specific empire, which is Rome. And with that, uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 1 says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed, then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And so we'll stop right there. And so we see that, that, that this vision that, that Daniel receives actually happened a few years back, you know, from the timeline that we're following, right? You remember uh, a couple chapters ago, the chapter previously, actually, uh, a couple chapters ago, we see that, that, that Belshazzar, it's when Belshazzar died. You know, uh, King Darius came in, uh, the leader of the Medes and the Persians. He killed Belshazzar. It was, it was prophesied that was going to happen. Uh, it was prophesied in, in chapter 2 in that statue. And, and, and Daniel, so Daniel knew it was going to happen. He actually saw it happen. And so this vision that Daniel just received, that we're reading about, happened a few years back in the timeline that we're following. Now, keep in mind that, that Darius is in power in chapter 6. You know, and Daniel already described how the Medo-Persians killed Belshazzar and, and, and overtook the kingdom of Babylon. Okay, and so we see that, that Daniel has this vision we're about to read, you know, but he leaves out all those small details and only, mention, only mentions the main facts. That's what he said. At the end of verse 1, he says, Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Now, 
that drives me crazy because I'm like, man, I want to know everything. I want to know every single little detail. But yet, for whatever reason, inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, Daniel mentions only the main facts. So there's, so what we're about to read, there's way more to this vision. There's way more to this prophecy. There, there, there's, way, there's way more to, to what Daniel was revealed. But he only writes to us, he only gives us the main facts. That drives me nuts. I'm reading this, I'm like, man, I wish he would have said this and that and the other, and I have questions about all these things. I'm like, Daniel, man, when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask him, what's up with that? <laughs> but obviously we know that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it gives us only the main facts. And so, man, imagine if he would have wrote down the, the, all, everything in detail. I mean, it probably would have been, the book of Daniel probably would have been twice its size, right? And so we see that the vision starts off by him seeing a strong wind stirring up the great sea. That's what he says there in verse 2. He says, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, when he says the four winds of heaven, that's just him using descriptive language, saying, you know, hey, the winds came from the east, from the south, from the north, and from the west. What he's trying to say is, like, man, there was this great storm. You know, it was just hectic. It was crazy, right? And so he says, that it stirred up the great sea. Now, just picture huge waves and water splashing probably hundreds of feet in the air. And so this sea that he's referring to uh, is, is, the Medi- is the Mediterranean Sea, you know, where he's at. Uh, the Bible only mentions, I think, three seas, the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, the, sea, the Sea of Tiberias is the same as the Sea of Galilee, but he mentions the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, and the Mediterranean Sea. And so Daniel's probably talking about the Mediterranean Sea at this point. And so he, in his vision, his vision starts off by just a windy, strong, windy day, and, and, and the, the sea is going crazy. And then he says this in verse 3. He says, <clears throat> And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and, and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So he starts off this vision by having just crazy, right? So his first vision, you know, we're told that, that he, sees, um, he, sees, he sees a four great beasts come up from that crazy sea, from that... From that from that turmoil, right? And each one of these beasts were different from one another. Now, he says that the first beast was like a lion. And that's a key word right there, like. Because it's not an actual lion, but he's describing it to the best of his ability. He says, it was like a lion. You know, and so as we read about these beasts, they had the appearance of different types of animals, but they weren't these animals exactly, right? I mean, we don't, they sound like mythological creatures, but we know that they're representative of something, right? And so they're not, these actual animals, but, but he's describing it to the best of his ability, which is like, hey, it was like a lion, but yeah, it had, it had the beast of, of uh, it had the wings of an eagle, and then his wings were plucked off. And so we see that Daniel is trying to describe these beasts to the best of his ability, you know, using this, this descriptive language. Now, he sees that he, it says that he sees a lion with eagle's wings that were plucked off. And, and what, he's, what he's describing actually is, is uh, he's describing um, Nebuchadnezzar and the, and, the, and the empire of Babylon. And notice, notice how he says that, that to this beast, that, that uh, it was given two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And, and what, it, what, is, what it's referring is Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember a few chapters back, as Nebuchadnezzar was in power, they were always trying to give, get a hold of his heart, giving him these, these visions, uh, speaking to him through Daniel, uh, speaking through, through the witness of Daniel. And then all of a sudden, you remember that, that the Lord humbled Nebuchadnezzar for seven years. And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was caused to just, he, he lost his mind pretty much. He lost his brain. He was a madman. He was kind of just crazy out in the field. He lived out in the field for seven years, uh, and, and he pretty much lost all his sense of thought, right? He was just a crazy guy out in the field. 
right? They couldn't kill him because he was still technically the, the king, but he, was, he just lost his mind for seven years until, until the Lord humbled him, and he recognized in his heart that it was God who raises up kings and, and puts him down and, and that the whole earth belongs to God. And then so we're told here in this vision of this beast that this, after that, that, that this beast was given a man's heart. And so, and so that's speaking of, of, the, of the restoration of Nebuchadnezzar. And then it says in verse 5, And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. So not a bear, but it says like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. And so we, he sees uh, the second beast. You know, and he, sees that, he says that it's like a bear who devours much flesh. Now, he's describing the Medo-Persian Empire, which is the empire that, that overtook the Babylonians. Now, interesting that it says, this is, man, the accuracy of these, of these prophecies is just amazing. I'm reading this, I'm just like, man, Lord, I couldn't get past, like, it took me a while to just get past one verse, I'm like, man, Lord, this is amazing, this is so awesome, this is incredible, right? And so, the accuracy in which, in which you know, he, 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 he was revealed this vision, it was just amazing. He says that, that the second beast, it says that, that, that it, it was raised up on one side. We could read right past that and think, oh, okay, that's just some, you know, another aspect of this crazy vision. But interesting that, that, uh, that history actually tells us that the Persian half of that empire, remember, it's the, it's the Medes and the Persians who, who combined one empire, and so it was the Medo-Persian empire. They overtook Babylon. But interesting that, that, that world history tells us that eventually, within this, this Medo-Persian empire, the Persian uh, aspect of, of this empire became stronger, and, and, it, and eventually with time, it became more dominant, where, where the Persian empire ended up just dominating the whole empire. You know, it wasn't no longer the Medes and the Persians, but it just became the Persian empire. And so when, when, as Daniel sees his vision, he says, I saw this, this beast, it was like a bear, and, and it, was caused, it, it was raised up on one side, right? And so that one side talking about is, is, is that Persian side, and the Persian side became more dominant over the, 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 the Medo side, right? And so I think that's just amazing. And then he says that, that, th- that to this beast, he said, it had three, three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. This is just descriptive of, of, uh, of the violence in which, in which the Medo-Persian Empire was known for. Um, did, you guys, did you guys know that, that a crucifixion was actually, it actually originated within the Persian Empire. It was later on adopted by the Assyrians, and then it was perfected by the Romans. But these Persians, were, they were experts in torture. They were experts in violence. They were experts in just all kinds of wicked uh, 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 interrogation schemes. I mean, these guys were just uh, trained killers, trained torturers. You know, and so they were violent, right? And so we, we see that the word was given to this, to this beast that looked like a bear, and it says, Arise, devour much flesh. And again, it's descriptive of just the nature of the Medo-Persian Empire, how violent it was. Uh, just the, 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 how evil, how wicked it was, and just how ruthless it was as it, it would go conquering uh, other nations, other cities, you know, other empires. They were just ruthless in their attacks. They had no mercy, right? And so it, it says, Arise, devour much flesh. And then verse 6 says, After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard. Again, so not a, a leopard, it says like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And so he sees this other beast, and we're told that it was like a leopard, but it had four wings and it had four heads. Now, this is actually descriptive of the Grecian Empire, which overtook the Medo-Persian Empire and, and under uh, Alexander the Great. And so we know that a leopard is al- already quick. You know, and so what this is saying is that, man, it was quicker than quick. It wasn't just one of the fastest animals, but it also had four wings. 
And not only did it have four wings, you know, but it had four heads. And so adding to its speed, you know, now its, its, its agility, now with those four wings. And this is, amazing. again, just the accuracy in which, in which this prophecy was given to Daniel is just amazing. Because history tells us that, that Alexander the Great uh, went out conquering nations. Uh, he had conquered the whole known world by, by the age of 33. You know, a ripe old age of 33 years old, he had already conquered the whole known world. Young guy, man, but he was just zealous. He was a warrior. This guy, he, he just had, had that zeal, you know, that heart, that spirit, that warrior spirit. And so he conquered the whole known world uh, by the age of 33. Amazing, right? So this was a fitting description of, of Alexander the Great. Um, and interesting that, that Alexander the Great, you know, his army wasn't even that big. Uh, when, when, when he came and attacked, the, I believe it was the Persians, when he came in and, and, and attacked the Medo-Persians, he came with an army of 35,000 while the Medo-Persians uh, numbered in the millions. And with an army of 35,000, he was over, able to overtake, conquer, and destroy this other nation. Amazing. Now, we're told about this, about this beast, about this, uh, this third beast, uh, that dominion was given to it. Pay attention to that. It says that dominion was given to it. And so the question is, well, who gave him that dominion? You know, God. Because God is, is, is sovereign and giving him this dominion. Uh, so Alexander the Great, his whole, his empire, you know, God gave him the ability to go about and conquer with speed, uh, with strength, with force, with power. It was God who gave him this, this ability. And, and it's not that, that, that God, you know, was, you know, given directions, all right, Alexander the Great, go do this, do that, and do, and do the other. He did some wicked stuff, right? But what it's talking about is just the sovereignty of God and God allowing him to go forth and do all these things. And so we're told that dominion was given to it. And so more than Alexander the Great's skill in battle, it was God who was working behind the scenes, giving him these, these other nations, giving him the victories, and, now, and allowing him to conquer. But then we're told something else about this specific beast, about this uh, leopard-like beast. Not only was it like a leopard, but it had four wings, and it also had four heads. Now, uh, again, just the accuracy of this just amazes me, Right? Interesting that, again, world history tells us that Alexander the Great, when he died at age 33, uh, he had no one to leave the kingdom behind to. He had no kids. He had no one to, to leave the kingdom behind to. Uh, he actually entered into like this, this, this sickness. Many people believe that he got depressed because after he had conquered every single nation that there was to conquer, there was no more nations for him to conquer. Uh, he got drunk one night. He, he ended up uh, uh, catching a cold. It developed into pneumonia. He caught pneumonia and he died and he, let, he had no one to leave the kingdom behind to. And so... With his sudden death, uh, the kingdom was actually split uh, between four of his leading generals. Uh, and, and these guys' name is, uh, one of them is Cassander. And Cassander took uh, Macedon and Greece. The other guy, uh, uh, Lysimachus, he took Asia Minor and Thrace. Seleucus, who took Syria, Upper Asia, Babylon, and the East. And the fourth guy, uh, Ptolemy, who seized Egypt, Palestine, and Arabia. Man, this isn't the Bible telling us, telling us this. You know, this is world history telling us this. Now, again, this is just amazing because history backs up uh, the prophecy that Daniel received here in, 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 the, in chapter 7. Amazing. You know, so we see that God gave him insight, specific, detailed insight into what was about to happen. And so, interesting that, again, while he was out conquering, uh, again, God was working out his sovereign plan to preserve his word. What do I mean by that? Now, I mean, we could just easily read through this, you know, and, and, and not really look into history and just think, all right, cool, well, it's, it's an awesome prophecy within itself. But when we start paying attention to the details, you know, of what's going on and just what the Lord did with this, it's just amazing. 
So as he was out there conquering, as he was out there establishing his reign, as he was out there establishing his dominion, establishing his name, establishing his culture, right? He was, he was a Grecian, and so the, the, the language of the, Greece, of the Grecians was, was Greek. Was Greek. Interesting that, mo, that all the New Testament was written in Greek. Um, the Apostle John wrote his gospel in Koine Greek, which is like the common, so the common people is Greek. And so Alexander the Great introduced a common language to the nations which he had conquered, you know, which is Koine Greek. You know, he wanted the whole, the, the whole empire to be in unity, you know, under one. He didn't want to have, you know, these divisions of cultures, these divisions of, na- of nations. Even though his, his empire was made up of different nations, he wanted them to all speak one language, have one culture. You know, and so interesting that, that, that we see this transpire into the New Testament. Uh, there, as we just went through the book of Acts on, on Sunday mornings, we saw how, how there was this little bit of discrimination against, against the, the, the Hellenist believers, meaning those believers, those Jewish believers who, who incline more to their, to their, to their Grecian, uh, to, to their Grecian uh, uh, culture, right? They spoke Greek, uh, they, 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 they had these, these Greek practices, but yeah, they were Jewish and they were Christians. And so remember there in, in Acts chapter 6, as, a, as, as the seven guys were appointed to just to, to, uh, to oversee the distribution of food to the, to the widows, it was the Hellenists who were being neglected because they were kind of being discriminated against Right, because the, the, the zealous Jews, the Jews who were born in Israel, the ones who, who held, you know, the, who spoke the, the Hebrew language, kind of stayed to their tradition, to their own culture. They were kind of just, uh, you know, discriminative of, of these Hellenists, these Jews, you know, who were Christians, but, but, but more uh, inclined to, toward their Grecian type of culture. And so Alexander the Great, again, he introduced a common language to the nations which he had conquered, Koine Greek. All the literature that, that, was, that was in his empire, he had translated to Greek, and the rest of it burned. You know, uh, he had everyone learn his language from, from young to old. You know, there was, again, he was bringing this unity into, into his nation. And, and, and I say that to say this. He actually made it a law that all writing and literature be translated into the common language, which is the Greek. And that no other language be spoken, be written, be used. Right? And with that, in the city of Alexandria of Egypt, uh, where it was translated the Hebrew scriptures, which we would know as, as the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a, is, a, is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so because these guys were now, were now in, in, under, the, under the, the Grecian Empire, under Alexander the Great, and, and again, this is just God in his sovereignty preserving his word, his word. This is God in his sovereignty just preserving his people, and this is God in his sovereignty just preserving his, 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 uh, his message. It is amazing. And so here, here are the Jews now. There's a whole nation of Jews under Alexander the Great, under the Greeks. All of a sudden, their, their Hebrew scriptures have to be translated into Greek. And so out of that, we get the Septuagint. The word Septuagint uh, gets its, its, its origin from, from the 70 scholars, the, the 70 Jewish scholars who, who were given the task to translate these Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Interesting that, that as we read through the New Testament, you know, it was the Septuagint that was used in the temple. It was the Septuagint that, that, that Jesus read from. It was the Septuagint that, that the Pharisees and all the religious leaders read from. And later on, it was the Septuagint, which was translated by Jerome into the, what we would know as the Latin Vulgate and eventually translated into English, into different languages. Amazing. This is just incredible, right? And so here we are, we're reading through, this, through the history of these world-governing empires. We think, man, these guys are just crazy. They're just overtaking one another. And yet, intricately woven in all these details is God. Intricately woven in just everything that's going on, the violence, this, that, the other, is God. Right? And God's sovereign plan for not just uh, the Jews, not just these nations, but all humanity for all eternity. 
right? If it wasn't for, the, for them being, out, being exiled, they, then they would have never got conquered. They would have never been in Babylon. They would have never been the, under the, the Persians. They would have never been under the Greeks. The, the word of God probably would have been lost. We wouldn't have the, the, the Septuagint. We wouldn't have the Latin Vulgate. And we wouldn't have our English Bibles that we have today. Amazing. Amazing. And so we see that, that again, that Greek became the common language in Israel by the second and first century. You know, as we're introduced to the New Testament, it was Greek that, that they spoke. You know, and it was only, it was only like, like, like the highly, you know, educated, very important, you know, uh, Jews that actually spoke Hebrew, knew how to read it, or knew how to write it. Um, most Jews at the time of Jesus could not read in Hebrew, so their common scriptures were, were in Greek. You know, and so again, John wrote in Greek, all these other guys wrote in Greek. The whole New Testament is written in Greek, you know, again, originating from, from Alexander the Great. And so, interesting that as we read, uh, again, we finished studying the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, you guys might remember that in Acts 22, verses 1 through 2, uh, Paul, as, as he addresses the angry crowd in Jerusalem towards the end of his days, right, he finally makes it up to Jerusalem to keep the feast. That was like his life's goal. And then as he's addressing the crowd in Jerusalem, it says this, Acts 22, 1 2, it says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And it says, When they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Why? Knowing this background, knowing that, again, that it was only specific people who, who knew the Hebrew, knew how to write it, knew how to speak it, right? It was only, like, the prominent, intelligent, like, the important of the important within, like, the, 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 the religious Jews. It was, like, the, the top guys, you know, who knew, who knew how to speak this language. And so as they heard Paul speak it, like, all right, all of a sudden they were all ears because, you know, all right, man, this guy is someone important, right? He's speaking to us in Hebrew. And so, again... Just to point out the sovereignty of God he used in, in Alexander the Great and, and the Grecian Empire to preserve the Hebrew writings, right? Just like he used Nebuchadnezzar to preserve the utensils used in the, in, in the worship of God. If you guys remember there in the first chapter of the book of Daniel, we're told, the very first verse, the very first verses, we're told that as Nebuchadnezzar came in, you know, it says that, that he took the holy, the holy things, the holy utensils, the holy items from, from, from Jerusalem. And what did he do with them? He didn't destroy them, but he stored them away. Right, for all that time, and, and while the Jews were in captivity for 70 years, these items, these holy items, were stored away. Remember, it was, it was, because, it was because Belshazzar wanted to use these holy items to get drunk and have a party with his, with his, with his lords, you know, that, 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 that judgment came upon him. Right? Because he was, these were God's things, and these utensils were used in the worship of God, in the, in the, in the rituals, in the sacrifices, you know, in the traditions. Whenever, whenever the Jews would come and worship God, they used these utensils. Right? And so again... Someone may read this and think, oh, man, well, it's, you know, it's messed up. It's sad that they'll take all their stuff stolen from them. You know, Nebuchadnezzar came in. He took all these things. But really, God was preserving them. And if it wasn't for Nebuchadnezzar coming in and, and, and taking these, these holy things, right, and throwing them away, they would have never had them, you know, uh, uh, later on as, as, a, as the second temple was rebuilt. You know, as the second temple was, was rebuilt under, under, um, under the priest Ezra and, and, Zer- and Zerubbabel, there they had all these holy utensils to, to again, to, to, to institute into the, into the worship of God. Amazing. Just like God preserved those utensils, he preserved his word with Alexander the Great, right? He caused the Hebrew scriptures to be translated into Greek, the, what we know as the Septuagint. Now the Septuagint was translated into the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate by Jerome. Man, now we have this, what we have right in front of us, man, our English Bibles. It's amazing. This is just amazing, you know, how God is able to preserve his, his word after all these years, after all these things. It's the only book that survived, you know, the only writing that, that survived so much. I mean, I believe it was under Stalin and even under Hitler, you know, that, 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 that they commanded for all the Bibles to be burned. Why? 
right? Why wasn't the philosophy books? Why wasn't the science books? Science book? Why wasn't the history books? You know, he wanted the Bible. He wants specifically the Bibles to come and be burned. Why am I trying to destroy God's word? We'll see that God's word can, can't be destroyed. And so, dominion means uh, giving like authority. You know, you have authority over it. You have a uh, power over it. You're, ex- you're able to, to execute pretty much all judgment, like everything over it. You know, it's, dominion means, yeah, you're, you're executing all authority over it. So he was given dominion over, over everything. Crazy. And so it goes on to say in verse 7, now the fourth beast. In verse 7 it says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns. I mean, he was just like looking at the horns like, man, those are crazy. So he says he was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among those ten, among them, before whom three of these first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in the horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking pompous words, or like that word pompous could be translated with a blasphemous, prideful, blasphemous words specifically against God. I get chills just reading this because I kind of disgust, like the imagery just disgusts me. You know, these horns and a little horn sprouting up. It's just, I don't know, it's weird. I'm getting the chills. So it's crazy. So, so, so Daniel sees now a fourth beast. Now interesting that the, that the first three beasts, you know, he could liken them to an animal, something that he knew. But this fourth beast, he couldn't even compare it to anything that he knew. Right? There was nothing to compare it to. He just said, hey man, this thing was dreadful. He says it was terrible. It was exceedingly strong. And then he goes on to describe it a little bit. He says it had iron teeth, huge iron teeth. And it was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet, I mean, trampling the whole earth with its feet. And then he says again that, that there was, that, that this beast, um, it had ten horns, and as he was looking at these ten horns, there was a little horn that sprouted up, you know, and, 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 and in the place of three horns. So that's, I know, kind of crazy to, to imagine, you know, but, but, but just uh, bear with me, right? So we see that this beast was different from, from all the other beasts, you know, that, that Daniel described. And then again, he gives us those four characteristics of this specific beast. You know, it was dreadful, it was terrible, exceedingly strong, huge iron teeth that devoured. Now, this, uh, the iron, the iron described in this, in this beast, the, the, the teeth of iron, the huge iron teeth, uh, is, is, actually, um, is actually similar to the legs of iron described in, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. Now, if you guys remember in, in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, within that statue, we're told that, that the legs were made of iron, and the feet were made of part iron and part clay. The feet, along with his ten toes, were made of part iron and part clay, meaning that there was some of that of the of the of the fourth kingdom in the feet in the last kingdom, right? Now, I say that because uh, interesting that, that Daniel sees the legs and the feet in his vision as one. In the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, it was two separate, right? It was all iron, and then it was iron and clay. And, and as Daniel sees it, he sees it as just one empire. Right, it's it's all, it's the iron teeth. Now, this is referring to the Roman Empire. There, in, in Daniel's uh, uh, in Daniel's description of, of the of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, this fourth kingdom is is was a Roman was a Roman Empire, you know, which overtook Alexander the Great. And then here he's, here we see it that uh, it actually makes up one empire. And so this gives us light into 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 the into the future into into the future. Um, uh, empire of the Antichrist, you know, and we believe that's going to be a revived Roman Empire because as we're as we're studying this 
this image in chapter 2, and as we're studying this vision here in chapter 7, we see that the Roman Empire was never conquered. It was never conquered. It was never defeated. Right? All these other empires, they were overtaken by someone else. Right? Babylon was by the, by the Persians, Persians by the Greeks, uh, the Greeks by the Romans, for the Romans, by nobody. It just got so big that it pretty much just collapsed upon itself. You know, and so and so this gives us, it gives us the opportunity to, to revive, right? And so the revived Roman Empire would be what we know as as modern Europe right now, right? Interesting that there's just so much going on right now uh, in Europe. Uh, on that side, I mean, you guys have you know been on Instagram, been on social media, been watching the news, uh, the the right type of news, the news, the ones that, that talk about what's going on out there, you know, in, in Europe. Uh, we're told that 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 Russia right now is 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 wanting to to make war with Ukraine. Um, interesting that in the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel talks about talks about four kings that are going to make war with Israel. Uh, one of one of those one of those kings and one of those empires is is in the same place where Russia is. So it would be Russia. The other one would be China, and the other two make up one make up one nation, which would be Turkey. You know, and so in order for these guys to make war against Israel, something needs to happen. Now, I'm not saying this is about to happen, but I'm just saying the possibilities that you know what's going on right now. Right now, Russia is, is, is trying to invade Ukraine. Uh, the U.S. has already told it, any, any U.S. officials, government officials, soldiers, whatever, to, to, to leave Ukraine, Ukraine, to evacuate Ukraine. They were given the heads up. They said, hey, man, if something goes down, we can't rescue you guys. So people are leaving Ukraine. As I mentioned on Sunday, all these other uh, governments have already pulled their embassies from Ukraine. And now, just recently, I believe it was today or yesterday, U- Ukraine came out uh, on, their, on their news headlines. They came out with a statement saying that, that they'd be open to... to uh, to, to partnering with Israel, right, and and, and, and to make, and to and to have uh, be allied with Israel, I guess because everyone's kind of abandoning them, abandoning them. So they they said that they put it out there that like, hey man, we're open to, to making deals with Israel, you know, being allies with Israel. Now, with that in mind, that would keep, that would give Russia, you know, an opportunity to attack Israel. That would give China an opportunity to, to attack Israel. That would give Turkey an opportunity to attack Israel. Just how it's described in the book of Ezekiel, right? That, the, that these three kings are going to come and make war against Israel. That is crazy. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm, not, I'm saying the possibilities of it are just, they're, they're amazing. You know, as we see these things, uh, these things happen in, in, there in Europe, and, and we see, you know, that the, that the kingdom of the Antichrist is going to come from the revived Roman Empire, you know, which is the nation, which is, which is the region of Europe. It's just amazing, right? It's, it's, it's hard not to study this and see what's going on over there and, and make that connection. It's like, man, you would have to really jump through hoops and, and go around a lot of, you know, just a, a, a very, a very uh, uh, obvious things to not make that connection. So this is just insane, right? And so we see that, that, that before Rome, the longest la- lasting empire lasted only 200 years, right? Rome lasted 1,500 years before it just collapsed upon itself. Um, we see that Daniel sees his last empire in two forms, Right? He sees it sprout up as a beast, and then he says he sees it with the horns and, and this little horn coming up. That's actually a second form of this beast. You know? it's, it's the second form of this empire, which we believe is going to be the, the revived Roman Empire. And so we're told that, that this beast had ten horns, and three of those horns were plucked out from their root to make way for a little horn. Right? And now this little horn, we're told that, 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 sprouted, that sprouted up, and we're told that it had eyes like a man and spoke prideful blasphemous things against God. Now, this little horn is actually talking about a person. And this little horn is talking about the, the person of the Antichrist who's going to sprout up, you know, from this revived Roman Empire. And so we're told that, that, that this Antichrist, you know, is being described by this little horn. First of all, I, I like how the Lord describes that. Hey, you're, you're just a little horn. 
Right? He's going to come up as the Antichrist, trying to be you know, this top dog and try to you know, uh, uh, do all these things. But yet, amen, in the Bible, he's just a little horn, man. That's it. That's all he is. And so that's just a little nugget, man, for your church. And so we're told that, the, that, that this little horn, it said it had eyes like a man, you know, and it spoke prideful, blasphemous, boastful things against God. When it says it had eyes like a man, it means like it was, he was aware, he was, you know, he had this insight, he had, he had this just uh, very keen insight. You know, and so, and so we believe that this, that the Antichrist is going to be a political figure, right? It's going to be somewhere, it's going to be someone who, who, who the nations, who the world is looking to, you know, as a, for, as a leader, right? And so within this revived Roman Empire, we're told that there were ten horns. And so that tells us that, 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 that the kingdom of the Antichrist is going to be made up of, of ten nations, Right? Or ten nations that are going to be in power, and then out of those ten nations, three of them are somehow going to give their power up to this one person, which is going to be the Antichrist. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but that's how it's described. You know, and and this Antichrist is going to be no doubt a political figure. He's going to be like the savior of the world at that time, right? I mean, we look at the world today, right? And the world is just like begging for a savior, for someone to just come in and bring peace, bring calamity, you know, bring a Stop to everything, just you know, restore things to back how, how they were, all these things, right? And we see that the, that the world is already being groomed up to look for this Savior, for this guy who's going to bring peace, right? Now, the book of Revelation tells us that when this Antichrist comes onto the scene during the seven-year tribulation period, the first three and a half years are going to be extremely peaceful. Everything's going to be good. He's going to institute certain things, you know, but everyone's going to be all for it, uh, and it's going to be extremely, extremely peaceful. And so they're gonna, they're gonna, it's gonna give him more of a reason to just, you know, submit to him, obey him, because he's gonna be looked at as this great world leader, right? Uh, the guy who brought peace to the Middle East, the guy who signed all these peace treaties, the guy who just was, I mean, he was everyone's man, right? So much so that that that, that three of the nations are gonna bow their power down to him. Now the the Book of Revelation tells us that after those three and a half years is when he's gonna kind of just step up. And kind of reveal who he is, reveal his real, his real motives, his real intentions. And he's gonna demand that he be worshipped instead of God. And all of a sudden, you know, it's gonna go all downhill from there. But again, so this little horn sprouted, you know, had eyes like a man, this insight, spoke prideful, blasphemous things against God. Again, he's gonna be a political figure. Now, Daniel was given the interpretation of this fourth beast uh, later on in the in the in the in the chapter. And I'm just gonna go skip ahead to verse 23. You guys could jump ahead right there, and it says. The fourth beast, which we're reading about right now, it says, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all of the kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. I mean, he's going to have power over the whole earth. He says, it will trample it and break it into pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. And another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first one and shall subdue three kings. Right, just what we talked about. I wasn't making it up. <laughs> He shall speak pompous words or blasphemous words against the Most High, against God. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and a times and a half time. And so, before I get into, into, that, into detail, so up until today, right, up until today, the Roman Empire has not been on the scene for a long time, right? And uh, yet this prophecy tells us that this fourth empire will devour the whole earth and break it in pieces. Again, this is why we believe that, 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 this, that, that, that this kingdom of the Antichrist is going to be a revived Roman Empire. Because here, in, in, in later on in the, book, in the book of Daniel there that we just read, we're told that this fourth kingdom is going to subdue the whole earth. We're never told that this kingdom is going to die, it's going to be conquered, it's going to, be, it's going to, it's going to die down. And so right now it's kind of just dormant. 
right? You know, we all know that, that, that term when we're talking about volcanoes, they're, they're active, but you know, like they, could, they could erupt at any moment, but they're dormant. And we don't know, we, we, so we know that they have the ability to erupt, we just don't know when. Right? And, so, and so this kingdom is actually dormant right now, the, this fourth kingdom, the kingdom of the Antichrist. This revived Roman Empire is dormant. You know, so it hasn't been on the scene for a long time. But we also haven't seen any ten-king confederacy come up out of Rome ever. And so we see that these are things that are still going to happen. You know, there's still future. Uh, how future? I don't know. Um, because as soon as the, 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 the rapture happens, the rapture of the church, then the seven-year tribulation period is going to kick off, and that's when these guys are going to come onto the scene. And so we still haven't seen any ten-king confederacy like, like Daniel describes here, uh, at least not yet. And so what, what is this text saying? So we're told that there will be a revived Roman Empire that will come up on the scene out of which will come this little horn, this, this one guy, the Antichrist, who will speak blasphemies about God. And again, this is the Antichrist. Interesting that, that, that John, uh, John actually gives us a little insight into this. There in the book of Revelation, which we're studying on Sunday mornings, uh, and when we get to chapter 13, we'll go over this, but just to give you a little insight. Revelation 13, it says, John, again, seeing this, this, this vision, he says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns, ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Let me just stop right there. And so as John is seeing now the division of a beast come up out of the sea, there in the book of Revelation, it's parallel with, with, with the vision that, that, that Daniel sees. He's describing the, the, the same guy. He's describing the same thing, just he's add, adding a little more detail. You know, and so as, as John sees, sees this beast come up, notice that we're told that, that this beast that John saw coming up out of the sea, it had seven heads, but it had ten horns. Now, this is amazing because the book of Daniel tells us, you know, so you would think, all right, well, if it has ten heads, then, if it has seven heads, then why does it only have ten horns, you know, what, what John sees? But Daniel gives us insight, and Daniel tells us that, that, that three of these kings are going to give over the power to one. And so that's the, the seven heads, but yet ten horns that, that, that John sees. And so we're told, again, about this, about this beast that, that John sees. That we're set, It says, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. So these are just all the kingdoms that, that were described. Babylon, the Medo-Persians, and, and, uh, and, and, and the Grecian Empire. Right? And so we're told that this fourth kingdom is going to have a little bit of, of these three. Right? But it's still going to be a little different. And we're told that the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Now, which says the dragon there is talking about Satan himself. And so we're, we're going to see that, that, that the Antichrist is not Satan. You know, a lot of people have this mixed up and think that the Antichrist is going to be like the, an incarnate Satan. But it's, he's not going to be. This Antichrist is going to be a political figure whom Satan is going to pretty much back him up a thousand percent. Amen. You're my, you're, my, you're my spokesperson, you're my puppet, you're my guy, right? And so we're, we're going to see that, 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 that behind the Antichrist's power is going to be Satan. So Satan's going to give him his power, he's going to give him his authority, he's going to give him, you know, whatever he's going to give him, he's going to give him everything, right? And so we're told that the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. Then all the world marveled and followed, followed this beast. And so we see, again, that the world is going to be swayed to the authority and to the leadership of this one person, of this one beast, of the Antichrist. And, and then we're told in verse 4, notice this, it says, So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Man, they're worshiping Satan himself. Right? 
And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who was able to make war with them? Right? Those are the blasphemies that, that now, again, this is in the tribulation period, right? That, that, that the people are going to be just worshiping Satan straight up. He's not going to be hiding himself anymore. You know, the Antichrist is going to reveal to everybody, look, man, it was, it was, it was, I got my power, my, my power is demonically inspired. I got my power from Satan, you know, and, and the world's going to be so wicked, so hardened against God that they're going to just be worshiping Satan straight up. I mean, we're seeing little hints and little glimpses of this. I mean, I've just, I've seen, I mean, there's like a, a, a satanic clubs now in, in school that are fighting for their rights because they want to be able to have a satanic club just like how the Christians have a Christian club and everyone has a, has a club. And so there's, there's people who are infiltrating the schools, you know, trying to bring in these demonic, uh, um, uh, these demonic in, in, inspirations to the kids, these demonic, demonic teachings, satanic teachings to the kids. All these things are coming up into the schools. I mean, so many things, right? I believe it was last year that that, that when uh, there was a big old fight for 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 uh, uh, to lessen you know the impact of abortion, right? To to make it not a federal law. I believe that it was uh, the Satanic Church who came up and said, hey, no, look, and they defended abortion and they said, no, this is this is our, our right to worship Satan, you know, and, and, ab- and aborting babies or worshiping Satan, this is our right, and they fought for it on that on on those grounds, you know, on that basis. Like, dude, they're not hiding anymore, right? But we're told that in the seven-year tribulation period. It's going to be just out in the open, insane, insane. But one thing that that uh, that Daniel says again, going back to Daniel uh, chapter seven, back to verse twenty-three and through twenty-five. One thing that, that that Daniel says, he says there in verse twenty-five, he says, "He shall speak pompous words." Again, speaking about the Antichrist, he shall speak pompous words or blasphemies against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. For the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, and a times, and a half time. There's a lot to unpack right there, a lot. So we're told, again, keep in mind, you know, where we're at in the timeline here. You know, we're uh, in the seven-year tribulation period, the second year, God bless you, the, 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 the second year of, the, of that tribulation period. Now, the Bible tells us that, that us as believers, us as the church, we're not going to be there for that time. You know, God is going to preserve us from that time. You know, we're not going to, going to go through the seven-year tribulation period. Actually, the rapture of the church, God's, God's uh, uh, taking away of the church, is, it's what's going to kick off the seven-year tribulation period. Now, if we're reading right there in verse 25 of the book of Daniel, chapter 7, we're told that, that, that this beast, that this Antichrist, that he's going to persecute the saints of the Most High, and, he's going to, and, and, he's going to, and the, that the saints are going to be given into his hand. Now, when it talks about the saints, who is it talking about? A lot of people will read this and think, oh, see, look, the church is going to go through the tribulation period. We're going to suffer. You know, all the, all the pre-trib guys you know, who, who believe pre-trib are wrong. But w- w- now the book of Revelation tells us that even during the seven-year tribulation pe- uh, period, you know, God is still going to give people the opportunity to be saved. Why wouldn't he? You know, God is merciful. He's long-suffering. He's kind. He's loving. He's all these things. Why wouldn't God give them an opportunity to be saved? Right? And so the, the, the Bible actually describes these saints as, uh, as the tribulation saints. You know, people who are, who are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know, during the tribulation period, they're going to see everything that's going on. They're going to be, you know, they're going to realize, like, man, you know, we messed up. We rejected God. You know, it, it, all this is true, whatever. And they're going to give their hearts to the Lord, and they're going to believe on the Lord. They're going to become believers, only that they're going to have to go through the, through, through the suffering that's going to come upon the world, right? As to us as a church, you know, we're, we're, we're with the Lord. We're going to be raptured with them. You know, so we don't have to go through this. And so the Bible describes these tribulation saints, in the book of Revelation, you know, and a lot of people would say, because throughout the book of Revelation, there's a verse 
that says that there's a power that's restraining you know, the Antichrist and that that power is going to be taken away. Right? And then a lot of people would interpret that as the Holy Spirit and they're going to say, oh, well, God's going to take away his Holy Spirit from the earth you know, during the tribulation period. I personally do not believe that. Uh, and I'll tell you why. But, and, and you'll hear a lot of great, awesome you know, Bible teachers, even within Calvary Chapel, that, that, that teach that. Um, I try to, to approach the scriptures with just the scriptures, you know, and based on what the scriptures say. First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, I believe, verse three. Let me turn there. It says this. It says this. It says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible says that, that nobody could come to the Lord without the Holy Spirit first drawing them, right? No, nobody can say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit first putting that in your heart, opening up your eyes, opening up your heart to, 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 to Jesus Christ. And so God's word doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. And so if, if God, through the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians, tells them that, 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 that nobody you know, can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit, then my question is, well, how are these people going to call Jesus Lord during the tribulation period you know, if the Holy Spirit isn't there? One thing that we know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the third person in the in the Godhead in the Trinity, right? And so he ha- he is uh, he is uh, omnipresent. He is uh, uh, he is just just like the Father is omnipresent, just like the Son is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent, meaning He's present in all places at all times, everywhere, right? He is present in hell right now. He's present in heaven. He's present here. He's present in China. He's present all over the world, all over the universe, all over the, the, the all over the galaxies, right? At the same time, that's that's God's presence, right? He's omnipresent, and so it would be impossible for him to be uh, to not be present on on the world for those seven years. Why? Because it goes against his very attribute, who he is. He's omnipresent, and so as we're told here in the book of Daniel, chapter seven, that 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 the beast will make he will persecute the saints of the Most High, and he will intend to change times and a law. Says, and the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and a times and a time and a and a half time. I'm going to get into that when we get to it, but I'm just going to keep, keep on going down. And so we're told about this fourth beast that, that, that Daniel sees, talking about the Antichrist. But then he says this in verse 9. Notice this. That's probably my favorite verse of this chapter. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand, thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. This is just glorious. Now, what amazes me is as Daniel seeing these visions of these four beasts, which represent these four world governing empires, we're reading this stuff, you know, we're reading the Revelation through the, the book of Daniel, and we're just, it's like, man, it's like a... a diehard, you know, times 100, you know, just act, packed with action. It's like, whoa, 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 you know, you see all this stuff going on. These guys fighting for power, all this wickedness on the, in the world, all this stuff going on. And then you get to verse 9, and we're told about the Ancient of Days, who is God. And, and as all these guys are running around the world, you know, fighting for power, doing all these things, where is God? It says, he was seated. He was seated. He wasn't frantically trying to figure out what to do. He wasn't frantically trying to figure out how, how am I going to stop these guys from coming to power? How am I going to stop these guys, this stuff from happening? No. Because at the Ancient of Days, talking about God the Father, he says, he was seated. Man, exercising his authority, his sovereignty, his power, 
over the whole world, over everything that's going on, right? Amazing. And so he says again in verse 9, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. Man, completely in control. He says, his garment was white as snow. Interesting that this is a descriptive of Jesus. We just read in, in Revelation chapter 1 last week. You remember in Revelation chapter 1 last week, uh, John, as he sees Jesus, he says that his eyes were a flame of fire, man. His, his hair, his head was, was white as wool and white as snow. You know, his, 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 his countenance was, was, like the, was like the burning sun. And so interesting that John is using that, 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 those, that language to describe Jesus in the book of Revelation. But yeah, here's Daniel using the same language to describe God the Father. Was, one, was Daniel wrong? Was, was, was John wrong? Well, you guys know, right? The Holy Trinity, right? The same attributes are attributed to God the Father, God the Son, you know, God the Holy Spirit. Man, the Trinity. And so we're told again that his garment was white as snow, and the hair on his head was like pure wool, white, and his throne was a fiery flame. Again, here's Daniel trying to describe to the best of his ability with his limited understanding what he's seen. When he says, hey, his throne was a fiery flame, he's talking about just the brightness that was just resembling from, 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 his, from his throne. It's like, man, it was like a fiery flame. So it was bright, right? And he says, his throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. I don't know what that means. I'll be honest. You know, uh, I'll just be straight up. I don't know what that means. You know, Ezekiel in his vision, you know, he has a vision of, of, uh, of, these, of these, these four wheels. And he says that, he says, I saw a wheel. And it, said, like, and it moved without turning. It just floated up around, you know. And, and, and he was talking about angels and stuff. And so... And Daniel's seeing this again. He's just describing it as best as he could. Obviously, there was like some kind of maybe uh, just glory, you know, just surrounding the throne of God. And he described it as wheels. He says, uh, it's wheels, a burning fire. He says, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Again, just the, the glory, the shining glory coming out from the throne of God, from the person of God. Right? He says, and a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I don't think that Daniel took the time as he was seeing this bitch. One, two, three, five, seven, 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 of ten thousand. I don't think he counted all these all these heads that he saw, right? But 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 what Daniel is describing is he's just saying, man, there was just numerous. I couldn't even count. I could, the best I could describe it is thousands times ten thousand times ten thousands of just beings worshiping God. You know, he's talking and, and and again, so he's talking about these beings. You know, whether they're angels, whether they were whether they're, they're uh, believers. You know, just worshiping at the throne of God. That's what Daniel sees. He's like, man, I just saw, bam, full-blown worship service in heaven, worshiping God, right? And so he says, again, 10,000 times 10,000 ministered to him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, and the court was seated, and the books were open. What book is he talking about? Hey, man, the book of life, right? God is in complete control of all of our lives, you know, not just ours here, you know, but throughout the whole, you know, history of the world of humanity. You know, the Bible says that, 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 that God has our days numbered. He says that he has all our days written in his book, you know, that, that nothing is hidden before him. You know, and so as, as, as God is, is, is about to open these books before everybody, you know, it's, and now he's going to judge the Antichrist. He's going to judge the, the God-rejecting world. And Daniel is seeing this going on. And so this is crazy because, again, Daniel sees beyond, <laughs> beyond just the world. He sees all the way up until eternity, man. He sees God opening up the books, man, the, the, the books of life. And so verse 11 says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. He says, I watched till the beast was, was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Amazing, right? 
And so Daniel, as, as he's watching this, this, this beast, he's, he's watching the beast, all of a sudden you get the vision of heaven, all this worship service going on, and in the background, he's his little horn still running his mouth. And so he looks at the horn, and all of a sudden, boom, man, this beast you know, that, that, that had this horn was just slain, and, and, it, and it was thrown into, into, into the burning fiery flame. Again, this is just prophetic about, the, the book of Revelation tells us that as well. You know, the book of Revelation, you know, the Bible tells us that, that, uh, that the Antichrist, that, 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 that the beast, you know, and that Satan himself are going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which burned for all eternity, right? Um, the kingdom of the Antichrist is going to be short-lived. The Bible tells us it's going to last about uh, three and a half years. And then all of a sudden, boom, that's it. God's going to come. He's going to put an end to it. Jesus is going to make war with them. You know, the war's going to last like not even a second. And he's going to be judged. He's going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which burns for all eternity. And so here's his little horn sprouting up, scary, trying to, you know, intimidate, talking all this smack. And all of a sudden, John turns and boom, it was just slain and thrown into the fire. Crazy. And verse 12 says, as for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season. And so we're told that, that, this, that this fourth kingdom, this fourth beast, the, the kingdom of the Antichrist, you know, was, was judged immediately. We have these other kingdoms, which are, which are going to be the kings, the kings of the earth, as the book of Revelation describes, they're going to come alongside the kingdom of the Antichrist and Satan himself to make war against God and his saints. But we're told that these guys are still going to stick around a little, a little longer, but they're going to be judged right, until before they're thrown into the fire as well. And so verse 13, verse 13 says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they, and they brought him near before him. Then to him, to the, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This is amazing. So, so here's Daniel, man. He's getting... Insight into the Trinity. You know, he sees God the Father, God the Son, and so he sees God the Son approach, you know, God the Father. So he sees one like the Son of Man. Remember, we covered this in, in, on, on Sunday morning, you know, about, about the, the vision that, that, that John saw. He says, I saw one like the Son of Man, right? So he's describing Jesus. And so Daniel here, he sees one like the Son of Man. He sees Jesus, another title for Jesus, the Son of Man. He says, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion, glory, kingdom, all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Now, this is interesting because uh, the Jewish people, you know, have a have a hard time reconciling with this with this passage here, right? Because they believe in a Messiah, you know, but they don't believe that the Messiah is going to be God Himself, you know, be, because of the, uh, some of the prophecies concerning the, this Messiah that He's going to suffer. Uh, Isaiah fifty three talks about, you know, describes Him as the suffering ser- servant, and it describes as the Messiah is going to come. You know, someone who's going to be beaten, who's going to be betrayed, who's going to be mocked, who's going to be uh, uh, crucified, who's going to be you know, uh, hung on a tree, you know, which is like a, a, a disgraceful thing, you know, who's going to be, again, rejected, um, and who's going to pre- be the servant of all. And so in their eyes, they were looking for this powerful king to come and just set up his throne and establish his kingdom here, here on earth, you know, overthrow the Romans and just, boom, take into, come into power and bring all these guys into power with them. You know, but yet they, they neglect that part of the prophecy of the Messiah. But they have a hard time reconciling with this specific passage because this specific passage tells us that, that, the, that, that, that the Messiah, the Son of Man, to him is going to be given uh, dominion, glory, kingdom, you know, and that people are going to serve him, that the whole world is going to serve him, and that his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that God shares his glory with no one. 
Meaning, you know, that, hey, man, God is always for his glory, for his power, for his, you know, that, that you can't worship God. I mean, you can't worship anyone else but God. But yet, here's the, ancient, here's the son of man, and the ancient of days is giving him all these authorities for him to be worshipped, but for him to have this power, you know, he's giving him that, that same glory. Again, for us, it's not a big deal. You know, we, we believe in Trinity. We believe what the Bible teaches, right, that, that there is one God. Within that God, within that God exists three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equally God, right? So they all share the glory, they all share the kingdom, they all share the dominion, and we worship God. So verse 15 says, uh, now Daniel's going to interpret his dream for us. Thank you, Daniel. It says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. So as he sees this, uh, there's no other way to react, but he was just, man, he, he, he was just troubled by what he saw. You know, obviously he was troubled because he saw what was going to happen on the earth to his people. Just, he sees the, the Antichrist. I mean, dude, I'd be tripping too, man, if I saw that vision of four beasts, man, this beast with ten horns, and one of these little horns is just talking smack and has eyes, and he's like, dude, I'd be tripping out, man. I'd be, <laughs> I'd wake up sweating. And so here's Daniel, it says that he was grieved in his spirit within his body because the vision of his head just troubled him. And verse 16, it says, I came near to, to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he made known to me and, and so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. And so Daniel, as he's receiving this, this vision, as, as he's uh, receiving this dream, you know, we're told that, that, there's, that there's angels surrounding him, right, as he's, as he's receiving this dream. And so he goes up to one of the angels and he asks him, hey, man, what's, what does all this mean, right? And so he says there uh, in verse 17, he says, uh, so he interpreted these things, and he says, verse 17, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Amazing. All eternity. Now verse 19, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze. Remember, bronze is descriptive of judgment. Which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before, which before, which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke blasphemous words, pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. And so, that's a lot to read. And so we see that as, as Daniel, you know, again, he's asking his angel, you know, man, what does all this mean? And the angel tells him, oh, well, those beasts, those those three beasts, they, they describe, you know, those four beasts, they describe four kingdoms. And he says, well, what about that fourth one, man? That the whole horn thing and and all this, and, the, and the little horn came up and he was speaking blasphemous words. Yeah, like, what does that mean, right? And so he's about to give him the interpretation. And verse twenty one says, "I was watching." He says, I, "I was watching, and the same horn was making a war against the saints and prevailing and prevailing against them." Again, we covered that in the book of Revelation. You know that that uh, that, that that the Antichrist is going to be given power to make to make war with the tribulation saints. Uh, he's going to kill all the tribulation saints. You know, a lot of believers that, 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 that come to the Lord, you know, during this seven-year tribulation period, um, they're not going to be spared, you know, from, from, the, from the wrath, you know, because they weren't taken up in the, in the rapture. And so a lot of them are going to have their heads cut off. A lot, a lot of them are going to die. Uh, just, uh, they're going to suffer as they die. You know, the Bible tells us that, that they're during the seven-year tribulation period that the Antichrist is going to institute this uh, whole system, you know, which is, known as, which is going to be known as the Great Harlot Babylon. You know, but it's, it's this false religious system. You know, and within that false religious system, one of the things that he's going to mandate or require is that they should all get the mark of the beast. And that without this mark of the beast, 
they're not going to be able to buy, to sell, to trade, to do anything unless they have this mark of the beast. And the Bible tells in the book of Revelation that this mark of the beast is going to be uh, is is that it's going to be a number. You know, it's I don't know if it's going to be a physical number, but we don't know exactly what it's going to be. A lot of people think it's going to be a chip. That's now that's not you know that's not too out there. I believe it can be. You know, but we're told that that that, that the number of this mark is going to be six six six. And that, and, and that this number is going to be representative of the Antichrist, of Satan, and that without this mark, that they're, they're not going to be able to buy, sell, trade, do anything. And for those who refuse the mark because they believe in God and they know they're going to get that, that on them, you know, they're going to be beheaded. And so this is what Daniel's talking about. He says that, that this beast, that the little horn, is going to make war against the saints, you know, and, and he's, going to, he's going to overcome them. Again, these are the tribulation saints. You know, that's not talk, talking about us as believers. Us as believers, the church, as Christians, we're going to be gone in the rapture. You know, we're either going to be dead before this happens or, or, or we're going to be gone in the rapture. I, with all my heart, definitely believe that this stuff could happen within our lifetime. I mean, people have been talking about this since way back, you know, like, like the 60s, the 70s. You know, hey, man, it's going to happen. Jesus is going to come in our lifetime. But I've talked to people who have been walking with the Lord for years, man. Uh, one guy specifically, you guys kind of, some of you guys know Pastor Lau, who's going to come teach for the men. Uh, he's been walking with the Lord for a long time. And he says that, he says, never in my life have I seen, you know, so much action. Like, no, never in my life, you know, have I seen, like, the, the things that are happening now. You know, even to those guys, it's like, it's foreign. It's, it's just, it's strange. It's just extraordinary, right? And so I definitely believe that could happen in our lifetime. If it doesn't, I'm going to die ready for it no matter what, right? Because we're called to live our lives uh, to the fullest for the Lord no matter what, if it happens or not, within our lifetime. It's going to happen. Just, I don't know if it's going to happen within our lifetime. I believe it will. But again... So this little horn is going to make war against the saints. It's going to be the tribulation saints. Now, again, uh, there's going to be people who are still going to come to the Lord, you know, uh, during this tribulation period, right? We're, we're, again, it's the, the Holy Spirit is still going to be here on earth within this tribulation period, or else people can't get saved. You know, I take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, right? Where Paul says that, 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 that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we see that the Holy Spirit is still going to be saving people. People are still going to have the opportunity to be saved. And so it goes on to say there in verse 19, he says, oh, we read that already. Verse 21, he says, I was watching the same horn was making a war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. And so we see that, that the Antichrist, you know, he's going to make war against the saints. He's going to make war against God's people for a time, short-lived, Right? Until God puts a stop to it. And we know that, that this stop is going to come after three and a half years. Um, and it says there in verse 23, he says, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. Then the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first one, and he shall subdue three kings. And so again, when this Antichrist comes on the scene, there's going to be a ten-king confederacy already set up within this revived Roman Empire. Somehow, some way, this guy's going to be a smooth talker. He's, whatever he's going to do, whatever he's going to say, whatever laws he's going to institute or, 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 or treaties he's going to institute, three of these kings are going to say, you know what, man, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to let go of our power so that you can take our place. Three of these kings. So he's going to take the place of three of these kings, the Antichrist. It says, he shall speak pompous words, blasphemous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and laws. What does that mean? Right? When it says that he's going to intend to change times and laws, keep in mind, you know, where we're at while this is happening. 
the tribulation period, right? He's going to come on the scene uh, at the beginning of the tribulation period, but it's not till half halfway through the tribulation period. So the tribulation period lasts seven years. After that, it's three and a half years. It's at three and a half years that he's going to pretty much come on the scene, you know, as as who he really is, and he's going to start persecuting, start putting all these things into place. And we're told that he's going to change. He's going to intend to change the times and the laws. Now, what what are these times and what are these laws? We'll continue reading. It says, Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and a times and a half times. So when it says times, it talks about one year. When it, when it says times with an S, that's plural. That's two. And when it says a half times, if a time is one year, then a half time will be half a year. Add that up. One plus two plus a half. It goes three and a half. Right? So that's talking about the second part of the tribulation period. Those three and a half years, you know, the, the, the second three and a half years of the tribulation period. And so this Antichrist, you know, being inspired by Satan, he knows what's written in the Word, right? He can't change it for, for, for whatever reason. He's, uh, he's said in his heart that he could make war against God and win. So even during this tribulation period, when he knows that he's only got three and a half uh, years left, it says that he's going to intend to change the times. What times? That three and a half years. He's gonna want, he wants to persecute God's people forever, right? But we see that God's going to put an end to that. So he's going to try to change this time that's already set in, in place by God. But he's not going to be able to, right? And so, again, for a time and a times and a half time, one plus two plus a half, you know, three and a half years. That's the second part of the tribulation period. In verse 26, but the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole, under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high God. Man, amazing. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. In verse 28, this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Man, amazing. Amazing. This is just, man, this is so much we could unpack, right? But, but again, it's, I'm just, again, amazed at God's word. I, I just, his insight, just what, what, what he's preserved for us, how he spoke, you know, to, through, 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 through all the prophets, of Daniel being one of them, but they're all the prophets. You know, and one thing I want to say is that as great as these prophecies are, as great as these men of God are, you know, the prophets, whom we know as the, as the prophets, you know, uh, uh, Moses, uh, uh, Samuel, uh, David was, was called the prophet, David the king, uh, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, all these prophets, as great as all these prophets are and as mighty as God used them, the book of Hebrews tells us, one, uh, tells us something in, in chapter 1. The, the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 says, in past times uh, and in past ways, you know, God who spoke through his prophets has spoken out to us through his son. And so as great as these prophets were who God revealed these things to us, God says that's, that's, there's a greater revelation. And that's the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. And so yeah, God spoke through all these prophets, but in these last days, he's speaking to us through his son. How does he do that? Well, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, through his word. And that's Amazing, because I read these things, and these are amazing things, right? But more than just these things, amen, we have a direct relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what we should focus on, amen? Amazing, you know, amazing prophecies, amazing, you know, content, just these guys were used amazingly by the Lord, but, but, but God wants to speak to your life, right? And God wants to minister to your life, right, today. You know, he wants to speak to you today, just like, man, greater than how he spoke to the, through the prophets, he wants to speak to your personal life. You know, and again, one thing that just ministers to my life through, through, through this chapter, through this, this short chapter, is just, just God's sovereignty through it all. 
right? All these things going on, but yet God was behind the scenes, right? And preserving his utensils, preserving his word, preserving the saints during the tribulation, and preserving us in our time. Amen? Amen. So be encouraged by